Hey, this is Caitlin at Dynamo Discussions. We have a great episode for you this week. We're talking with two founders. We have Adam Baselogger and Nick Mako of SouthTree. Uh, SouthTree is an e-commerce platform where you can mail in your old home videos, your cassettes, and you can get them digitized so you can keep those memories alive. And they have that always fascinating story, or at least it's always fascinating to me, of you know starting that company in your basement, or for them, it was their college dorm, and not really knowing what they had in store for them. They were college sweetmates and started their company just to pay their way through college. But things started going pretty well, and they decided to take a big gamble and went full force with the company. Delayed law school, moved their families, that kind of crazy stuff, and here they are, extremely successful with a lot of lessons learned that we want to share with you aspiring founders out there or those of you who just enjoy a good story. All right, enjoy the episode. Santosh Sankar. And we are here with the South Street co-founders. We got Adam Baselogger and Nick Mako. Let's just dig in. Tell us the story. How did it all start? Uh, so back in high school, I knew a lot about technology, especially video, and that was a little side interest. And uh, I recognized the need for family and friends, and so started doing that. Um, I got a pre-invite to Google AdWords. So that was before the Google AdWords platform was up and running. Uh, and I think I had like a credit, like they send out now for like $100. And as a high school, I'm like, dang, I should try to use this. So I kicked up a website and offered the services for sale online and started driving random strangers to this really janky site with a PayPal checkout. And uh, customers bought and sent me their home movies. And that was, that was the start. Did you expect it to work? You know, I, I think I did, but maybe I, in hindsight, maybe that was naive. But I think I thought like... Yeah, people might do this, and then they. Uh, I think it was like 2006, and then in 2009 we were like, okay, uh, I was graduating college. Nick was getting married, so we moved the business to Chattanooga, um, and and really, really took you know it was, it was our job. I delayed going to law school. We we were all yep. in after that that Christmas, and that was when the economy was tanking too, which is crazy in hindsight because you're like. We, like, came to Chattanooga, moved, signed a lease, and the economy was just, like, crashing. But we were still getting orders, so we were like, we can, we can do this. What You mentioned when you first discovered this opportunity, there might have been a bit of a naive nature that you thought it would work. What do you think helped you guys through all those challenges? Is there a certain quality or characteristic of your personalities? I think we've been really focused, and even to this day, on we only put our effort towards what works. So we're like highly results oriented, and so if there's something we're doing that isn't getting a result or a return, we stop. Um, and we even do that to this day. Like platforms change. Uh, the example I always think of right now is like Facebook has very little organic reach. You have to pay mm -hmm. for everything. So like we don't have a social media manager for Facebook because it gets no organic reach, so why would we do that? Mm -hmm. And so I think we're always, even back to those garage days, like we're only gonna you know, advertise this core service um, and kind of not be distracted by anything else. We're gonna sell what, what works. Sure. I, I also think that we're, we build on that momentum. And so like, I would rather ship 10 small projects than one large project. I don't, I don't think I could maintain focus for one large project. We have a mug in the office that says like, the longer it takes to develop, the less likely it is to ship. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that could some people, to some people that's like a nuance, like while well, you're just splitting this thing up into 10 steps. But I think 
what that allows us to do is every week we can say we got this accomplished and we push the business forward and that gives us momentum then to do to 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 do that again next week and then uh, you know when we look back over a month or over a quarter we can say wow we really got a lot accomplished mm-hmm. but i think that's what we learned early on was let's focus on things that we can do that give us more momentum that that give us the energy to tackle the next hurdle um i don't think i don't think either of us could have like tried to sh- if we looked at it as a big thing could have said yeah let's tackle this big thing over six months sure or nine yeah. months sure talk about the dynamics between you two i feel like you guys are very complimentary <laughs> how does that yeah come you together guys hate and each other? Do you like each other now we like it. You know what's surprising is we still get together outside of work. Uh, so he hangs out with the family, and we, we eat dinner together. And so, yeah, su- su- surprisingly, we get along really well. I know some people talk about when there's two founders, like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work out so hot. And I think we were truly friends first, yeah. even in college. Yeah. Uh, and so then it was like, hey, if we're friends, let's, let's, uh, let's try this business endeavor. I think we're really intentional about, intentional about giving each other grace and and um and just allowing each other to have opinions and expressions and mm-hmm. respect those you know at, at some points they're not personal they're just intellectual debates on how to go forward sure and so i think there there are points of disagreement or, or those types of things but i think we have a good structure of working through those it's not personal it's like best best idea wins was was an early concept that we both agreed to yeah um and so we don't have any like little holy things that we're like trying to guard or this is mine or this is yours. Like we both are involved in all aspects of the business even to this day. Yeah. So there's a ton of overlap. I mean, I think there's definitely different perspectives that each of us approach things from and we've learned to really value those different perspectives because the end product is always better uh, when both of our voices or even like now where we get a lot of our leadership team to speak into that. Like it's always a better product. Um, But there's not like, really certain exclusive things that he handles in the business and exclusive things I handle. And it's kind of nice because if we're kind of getting tired, like, man, I've been holding, you know, this aspect of the business up for a little while. Can you take it? Uh, We can both do that. Uh, Adam can check out and go on a vacation or I can leave with my family or whatever. Uh, And it's not like a huge portion of the business is is suffering as a result. Sure. Uh, You talked about in the beginning how it all started with AdWords. And yeah. so, so can you talk a little bit about how digital marketing has really influenced your growth? I, I have a stat that I give in our orientation to new employees. It was like 1.4 million, you know, miles or something that our orders have traveled. In other words, like we're shipping these orders all across the country. And so I think what's really neat about the way we started the business, which was to go direct to the consumer online is that we're able to reach a scale that you just couldn't do uh, in the past uh, and you couldn't do with the type of industry that we're in, which is kind of a, a, a little bit of a niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we love digital marketing and it's something that we've uh, really pursued uh, fully and it's been the source of our growth. Yeah, and it, I think for, for me personally, uh, I find it fascinating uh, that I think we're in that sweet spot for age group where, you know, when I was 16, 17, I was actually able to start a website, hook up a PayPal shopping cart. And so I was probably the youngest generation that could, you know, in high school, start an e-commerce website. Yeah. And so it actually logically follows 
uh, that that we would grow and sort of become better and better e-commerce marketers uh, as as we gain those learnings and as as the business uh, continue to grow. Okay, let's talk about failure. So, founders fail. Um, through talking with the founders that we've spoken with, I always find it very interesting, and I think it's beneficial for other aspiring founders to hear those stories about failure and then learning from those mistakes. So where have you failed? On the, on like, on the marketing thing, we've tried almost everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've made some really bad bets. Um, you know, so I think yeah, we were just throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick. I mean, it was yeah. goofy. We had little displays in shops around like the Cleveland, Tennessee area. I mean, we had, we went door to door, me and Adam, to neighborhoods and put like direct mail pieces on people's doors. We, we, uh, we tried a magazine uh, ad and it failed miserably and we actually wasted the majority of what we had in our business savings at that time. And by the way, if you ever make a decision based on, if you ever justify it by saying if 1% of 1% do X, it'll work. If you ever make that kind of generalization, mm-hmm. your logic is flawed. You need to just stop yeah. because that's, that's not going to work. So uh, on the marketing side, we've made a lot of mistakes, uh, and it was slow going for a while to really hit our groove. Well, we keep, we keep making mistakes today, but we just call them tests now, oh, and we yeah. keep them as small <laughs> as possible. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll help you sleep at night. You know, oh, that was a marketing test. Oops, uh, that didn't work. Um, I do think uh, one of my personal failings early, you know, because obviously we're, we're young guys, and so we didn't have that experience in managing people or a team or, or really qualified individuals. And I think I made the early mistake, and I've tried to correct it in the last two years, um, of trying to push people to where I wanted them to be instead of leaning into their strengths. Um, and that sounds really nice, but it, it actually has been really important because uh, you know, there, maybe there's someone on our team that isn't the best at being organized. Well, I think it, I, I thought it was my mission at some point to create this re- really well-rounded employee that was a key team member. And, and I realized that you can't really change people. Like, mm-hmm. let's not try to fix that organizational element of them. Let's lean into their strength, which might be that when they get a project, they tackle it super fast. Um, and I think that's been really key for me is just going like, this person is awesome. Here are their strengths. Let's just maximize their strengths because that is so much easier than trying to focus yep. on what might be what I perceive as their deficiencies. Um, so, okay, so we've talked about how your digital marketing has really set you apart. But what else do, would you attribute your success to? Is it your use of tech? Is it your design? What is it? I think early on, we, we really focused on building systems. Um, because we wanted to be efficient, and so we, we didn't want to spend a lot of time doing all these onerous tasks. And so everything that we do, even to this day, we, Nick and I really try to view it as like, okay, if we're going to have to do that, what is the system to efficiently onboard a new employee? Mm-hmm. What, is the, what is the system in production to open a box and get barcodes on all their media items? What is a replicable system for a marketing channel? And so... We try to systematize everything, not to make it cold, but just so that we can scale. Because anything that's very custom or like laborious means that it's just going to come and bite us later on as we scale. Sure. Yeah, so I think operationally we've done that. Um, and I don't know, we kind of joke that Adam and I are like fundamentally lazy. 
you know, so like we've had several, you know, we, we had, we would have to go and like rest, we'd have to like get our, start shipping packages to make it through several holidays, even after we had, you know, moved into, moved out of the garage. And like, if it were Adam and I shipping packages, we'd optimize the process as we're going. Mm-hmm. Cause we're like, I don't want to do this and we keep doing this. So this is the best way to do it. And we just like automatically do those things because we're going to have to get this chore done of shipping all these huge, you know, loads of boxes to people. Let's try to do it in the most efficient right. way possible. I think I think one of the ways we stood out early too was we utilized design. One, we communicated the value of what we were doing, not the process. So our our customers don't really care about the technological process that goes into this. They assume we're going to do a good job. Uh, but what we can lean into is the value of what it is, which mm-hmm. is that they can relive and enjoy these really treasured one-of-a-kind items again. And so we really cut through the clutter that way uh, as compared to some of our competitors who are really like technical and kind of wonky about the, how they approach that. Uh, the other thing we did is we used design to project ahead. So even though we were in a garage, we thought, well, if we can make our all the customer touch points, whether that's talking to someone on the phone, whether that's seeing our website, whether that's checkout, whether that's the packaging, whatever it might be, the stuff that the customer's going to come in contact with, uh, if we make that as professional and amazing as could be, one, that communicates trust and it communicates mm-hmm. confidence, but uh, three, they won't know that, you know, these are some college guys in a garage. You yeah. know, it's going to feel like a really great thing to them, uh, even though we can't afford maybe the nicest offices or whatever in the world. So we use design to project where we wanted to be, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. here's the image of where we were hoping to go. And then what's funny is then we would we would almost catch up to right. meet that that version of ourselves, it's if you will. It's not addressing for the job you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So something else we want to talk about is shipping. Um, as an e-commerce company, you have to ship all your products to your customers. And that can be very expensive. How have you handled that issue? Yeah, and I think what's... Uh, and even more than traditional e-commerce companies, like we're a mail-in service. So people have yeah. to ship their stuff to us. Right. We digitize it and ship it back. So um, the first part of that logistics piece uh, that we realized was actually even internal to our plant too. So like not only are customers mailing back and forth and we have to watch costs and manage those types of things, but then once it's inside our plant, I mean, right now FedEx delivers several pallets of orders and so we actually have to open those, uh, prep those orders, then they get go on to moving carts that then get slid out to our different work cells. And so um, even handling and moving orders through the plant and getting them out requires a lot of, a lot of systems and planning and logistics down to like, where do you actually set up your tape digitizing? How close is it to your inbound? Um, how do you how do you actually physically move pallets onto the FedEx truck that's parked there? Like all that costs time and money, and right. so a lot of that we've just had to um, we lean on advisors who have operated larger facilities, um, and we built our own systems. So early on, we embraced uh, we kind of came up with our own back end software. We hired a good friend of ours to make the first version of it. He he was a, he's a developer. He's been a developer at a lot of really great startups that you'd know from Shopify to, uh, uh, is it, um, not Salesforce, what's the hosting company? But uh, Rax, I think Rax Rackspace. Rackspace. Uh, but, but he helped us to develop this back end that would be custom tailored to the type of service that we were providing uh, so that we could keep track of items throughout the process. We could send notifications to customers throughout the process. Um, and so it really, that, te- that piece of technology, which we've, 
rebuilt several times over now, um, has become integral and a really big um, uh, barrier to entry, but uh, uh, value add for our customers because they get all this transparency into the process of what's happening with their really one-of-a-kind items as it gets processed through our facility. Um, and then on our end, we know exactly where everything is and and, and we can be super dynamic and, and expand when there's large spikes or certain spikes of certain kind of formats. Uh, so it's really enabled us, because we've had this software backbone that runs everything there, uh, to scale. We've seen some competitors where they hit some scale, uh, they get overwhelmed, and, and they have to close their doors. Mm-hmm. And we, we ship a, uh, I think, well, I mean, we ship a ton of packages per day during peak where there's probably like three, 4,000 going out the door. Uh, and there's, there's only a few providers, right? You've got FedEx, UPS, and the Postal Service. And so you really have to understand how people are pricing things. You know, it seems like every year FedEx comes out with new little little twists mm-hmm. to their pricing, dim waiter, all these different things. So you, that, you do have to be up on the weights and the rates and the package size. And that's just something that in the e-commerce world, because there's only three main players, you've got to bid them against each other. Um, you've got to, with, with our Legacy Box product, we actually include a prepaid label. That was one of the ways that we reduced the, the pain point for customers. So they actually get a label that they can just attach right to the legacy box that they receive at their door. And so by reducing the customer's you know, pain points and the work that they would have to do, we're actually able to sell those a lot better. Just because you know, the average American, uh, they aren't a logistics expert. They, mm-hmm. they hate shipping. It's, it's a huge pain. And so if we can reduce some of those issues with our mail-in service, um, we're just able to sell our services sure. and products that much what, better. What I think is really interesting about our model, so a lot of e-commerce companies, especially e-commerce startups that are popping up all over the place, whether that's like a Casper mattress or whether that's a, uh, you know, whatever it might be, they're not necessarily manufacturing and fulfilling their own product. They're primarily marketing-driven companies. Yep. Um, what I find really neat about our model is that we are a marketing company. We are an online marketing company. We also, though, control the processing and fulfillment of our product. And what that enables us to do is actually make those things work in concert with one another. So all the if, if we can make some efficiency gains over here, if we can do some process more efficiently over here, it actually means that we can go and market ourselves more aggressively and, and help grow the company over here. Uh, and so they actually complement each other if we can control them all. Uh, and I think that's a really big uh, distinction in how we're running our company. That's interesting. So a couple months ago, we were up in New York, and some investors and some some of the more major consumer brands companies have started to realize that logistics is something they need to get very, very comfortable with on behalf of their founders to help advise them better. Um, with that, I would say they understand that the logistics side can drive operating leverage for them, but it is also driving the consumer experience like you guys have hinted at or right. tangentially addressed. But in your business, there's so many distractions. How do you focus and separate getting your product to a continuously improved place while also making the business efficient? Is it because they're joined at the hip, like you said? Or... How does that work? Because that's just a lot to think about and absorb and focus on at once. I think that for us, because we were bootstrapped, we didn't raise any any money. We don't have any venture funding. We don't we don't even have a bank note. Uh, 
if you're making sales, you're going to survive. And so for us, marketing always leads mm-hmm. with then in, in the back of our mind, we know that we can go back to our production mm-hmm. facility and reduce cogs. And so sometimes we're okay with something that is going to cost us a little more or the process isn't as efficient or maybe maybe even the shipping on a certain thing isn't quite optimized sure. based on how we're marketing. But if we can, you know, if you're making sales, you get to live for another day. Yeah. And so sales leads always. And then right behind that is, I mean, it's just your basic P&L, right? Like mm-hmm. you just go through it and that's kind of your priorities. Um, and, and that's how we've operated from day one. Like make the sale and then figure out how to do it efficiently. Yeah, sure. so what we like to say is like our growth has always had to lead our infrastructure. Because we, did, because we didn't have any other option. There, there, like, we, weren't, we weren't raising money. We had no way to like, build out this amazing fulfillment center and start pro, you know, processing things. And so uh, we've kind of just gotten in that habit. Like, we're always focused on growth, growth, growth. And then, uh, and then it's cool because it puts all the operational deficiencies into focus pretty quickly. Because you're like, we're growing, and here's our biggest headaches in mm-hmm. production. Let's tackle those. Sure. So... I think that's interesting that you consider yourself a marketing company first, um, or that's such an important part of your um, business. Can would you have any advice for let's let's say for other people who want to start their own e-commerce site? What advice do you have for those founders? Oh gosh. No, that's a great question. I mean, again, <laughs> it is it is complex. I think the first piece of advice is um, get up a sh- get a basic site, get a shopping cart up. Um, and make those first sales. Like sales, mm-hmm. sales is hard, and so or marketing's hard. So like, focus on that, and then you can solve all those other problems, like where your warehouse is housed or how you're going to ship. Like that, make the sales, and then you know when there's a pile of orders that need to be fulfilled, uh, you can get a lot of people to help you with trial that. by fire. Right? Yeah. So if you're going to jump into the e-commerce play, uh, you got to you got to test. You know. If it's your own product that you're creating, like will mm-hmm. people buy it? If you're going to market something else, what's your strategic advantage? Yep. So the cool the cool thing about the internet is that the barrier to entry is lower than it's ever been, and so it's easier for people who have some sort of dream or idea to go ahead and try to find customers and find a market for it, and and be off to the races. Um, and so that's the really cool thing about it. Um, so yeah, start. You know, we were more excited about those first initial sales through Google AdWords that were hitting that PayPal checkout. wasn't a lot of money, very few, a couple hundred bucks in orders or whatever. We're more excited about that because it was the sign of life. It was affirmation that there were customers out there that wanted what we had than maybe some of the big marketing channels and things that we're developing today. Um, and so I would say if, if, that's, if that motivates you, find customers um, and get that market validation uh, first and that is incredibly powerful and motivating uh, to go then build the product behind it. Um, so yeah, I just say start, try it. You don't necessarily need anyone's permission. Mm-hmm. You don't even necessarily need a fancy business plan. We've never written a business plan. Um, so you, uh, you know, <laughs> so give it, a, give it a shot, give it a go, see what's out there. And ultimately, if you find customers, no one can, no one can argue with that. And yeah. what, key, what, what drove us is we. You know, if you want to, we call it now. Like, if you crack the code on like AdWords, or or maybe you're driving interest on Pinterest, or whatever, whatever that first what we'd call a channel is. Like, you can go replicate, figure out why that wins, and go replicate it. And that's where e-commerce scale can go quickly. Mm-hmm. So, like, t- that's what gets Nick and I excited when we talk with other entrepreneurs. We're like, if you figure out how to sell on one thing, 
there's 30 other channels. You just got to go figure out how it works on each one of those. And mm-hmm. so scale can be achieved really quickly on the digital marketing side. Um, and then like Nick said, the barrier to entry is so low. I mean, you can kick up a Shopify site mm-hmm. with full credit. I mean, we would have dreamed for that kind of stuff. A full Shopify site, uh, process payments through Stripe. Like You're off to the races, and they integrate with FedEx. I mean, it took us... We spent so much money developing those things because those <laughs> tools weren't around. Like it's a layup right now to start a small e-commerce shop. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I think if people look, if you go to South Street, you go to your website, it looks so beautiful and curated, and it's very well done. I think it's nice for people to hear. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. Like just start, just go. You kind of see these these companies that you aspire to be, and you imagine, oh, that's that's what I have to have mm-hmm. if I'm ever going to be anything. It, and I have a good ex- I have a good example of that too. I remember we're like toiling away in a garage and actually if you saw our website and even if you saw our finished product then it was really sad I mean it it looked really bad yeah um and we were ashamed of it in fact uh who's the founder of LinkedIn I think he said in one of his talks you should be ashamed of the first product you ship (laughs) but that's good that that like that really makes you like Mm -hmm. motivated to make it better but uh, I remember we saw this new company pop up, and they were, like, really well-funded, and they had everything. I mean, they had this beautiful brand and this beautiful product and this facility with all the type of equipment and bells and whistles that we would want, uh, and we were really bummed by it. Uh, but what's what's amazing is we've just plotted away, and we've surpassed them um, just by continuing to pl- plot our own course, not necessarily worry about what they're doing. Uh, and uh, And so it's very redeeming to see that but I understand that inclination for an entrepreneur to see this is who I want to be this is what I aspire to be keep that in your mind like that is absolutely the image that you should go after Uh, but just be okay with like just continuing to get on base Mm -hmm. you know just keep doing that we can even get caught in that cycle of being like paralyzed by perfection Mm -hmm. where we're like no it's not ready that we have to do and also we're like wait what is the minimal viable you know level that we need to go test this offer to customers and so we even have to remind ourselves and reset our own teams on like no that just ship that that's a great Mm -hmm. incremental improvement let's Mm -hmm. just stack incremental wins yeah and let's write it down like let's write it down so that we remember to come back and revisit this and refine it and make it better and Mm -hmm. make it at the caliber uh that we would want it to be at Um, but let's try to get some again momentum yeah. Longer it takes to develop, harder it is to ship. You guys embrace the iterative process. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, I know that there are a lot of other ways that people do things, but that's been a really key thing for sure. us. Sure. We even, we meet with all of our direct reports and it's, what three things did you get done last week? What three are this week? So we want to be shipping <laughs> like every other day or every day. And mm-hmm. when we're not, I, that's probably what keeps me up at night. If we're like, in we like, haven't shipped something in five days, I'm freaking out. Yeah. If we're in just sure. like the normal routine of operating the business... And we can't clearly point to some accomplishments from the previous week or from the past couple of weeks. Yeah. We start to get restless and worried pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, well, that's all the questions I have. Sandals, no, you got I'm, some questions? I'm good, I think. Awesome. Right. Well, okay. thank you for, no, thank you for right, having us. Thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, for guys. All right. That's this week's episode. We'll be back next week with another great founder so that you can learn all you need to know about starting and growing your business. See you next week.